So, welcome to Binomicon. This is just a little intro before the actual episode. Uh, I just want to apologize as we had a few technical difficulties fucking continuing as you can hear. Uh, yeah, just because it's recorded in my car over an iPad. But then, uh, unfortunately, Danny had some issues with his laptop as well. So the ending's a little abrupt, but I think the content's pretty good. Uh, either way, listen, enjoy, and buy a ticket for Beaks These Hills Festival. Here we are for another Just Tom Beernomicon episode, uh, and I'm with uh, Danny from Beak. You can say hi, Danny. Hello. <laughs> I didn't want to interject at the like wrong bit. Oh no, don't worry. Um, so, yeah, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're hoping to discuss, hoping to discuss uh, kind of these hills uh, and Beak Brewery and the future of Beak today. Um, but for those who aren't familiar with Beak, uh, would you like to give us an introduction? Yeah, so we are a brewery in a little town called Lewis, uh, which is a little market town just outside Brighton. Uh, Beak began life as a nomadic project, so I was running it by myself for probably about four years. Um, I was kind of originally a homebrew project that just got a little bit out of control. Uh, it eventually became a nano uh, brewery and then I started brewing my recipes on other kits around the UK so places like North Bruco, Northern Monk, Partizan, uh, eventually Burning Sky. Um, I was working as full-time journalist at the time um, so I was just literally doing it a weekend and built the brand up that way and then yeah about three years ago secured uh, some investment to finally set up a bricks and mortar iteration of Beak down there in Lewis. So, uh, yeah, we've been going for three years on this site, uh, operating as a tap room too. Um, and yeah, we it's been a bit of a roller coaster three years. Yeah, wow, I had no idea you were doing it for uh, for four years by yourself before actually setting up. Yeah, That's... it was really hard. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It was a passion project, like, it never, it was never financially viable. Um, we probably lost money on every beer we sold, uh, but just it was yeah. Again, it was just a homebrew project, like just passionate about beer. And it just got about you know it got out of control. <laughs> um, but you know it was a good way to. I always say nomadic brewing is a really good way to make mistakes and to learn how not to run a brewery. Oh, and so sure. when you do eventually open your own place, then you kind of make all of the mistakes. Uh, without like causing too much damage. <laughs> no, definitely. I think that's one of the things that a lot of new breweries setting up are realizing that 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 big initial cash injection of uh, a premises and uh, like a kit and everything is something that you don't necessarily need to have as long as you've got the kind of the knowledge and the passion um, and a, a good bit of funding, maybe. <laughs> In the right direction. Yeah, when you, you when you you know when you want an industrial unit and a proper brewery, you need a bit of investment. But I think like initially, you just need to focus on the beer quality and the branding. 
building up connections and customers. Because, um, you know, it's, it is a difficult industry. There's a lot of people brewing out there and you just have to figure out how you can set yourself out from the crowd and do things your own way. No, definitely. I mean, like, I wasn't really familiar with your beers uh, until you actually got the brewery. Like, I'd see them in passing and everything, um, especially when you'd done a collab with Sabato. Um, I, I remember you guys trying to put a, uh, a breaded barrel into uh, the Northern Monk Brewery I was working in at the time, and I was just like, oh, God, <laughs> not the bread. Um, yeah, no, we were doing some pretty crazy stuff back in the day, like, you know, smoked tea and juniper red ales, and I did, like, an export porter aged in English red wine barrels, and all this stuff that was actually really difficult to sell, because it's just way too niche, uh, but it was a good learning curve, for sure. That's it, it's a lot of fun, kind of, just experimenting with those flavours, finding out what works, but then... Again, I suppose uh, experimenting with the market and finding out what people are willing to buy and that aren't going to be too scared and shy away from. Yeah, definitely. And like, you know, like those beers, if we tried to recreate those bits, now they just wouldn't sell. You know, every, at the end of the day, like most people on a day to day basis want to drink something really hoppy and yellow and foggy. <laughs> Well, I saw you posted um, a real substantial kind of list of all your beers you're releasing uh, throughout summer. Um, it's, well, it's really exciting for like the drinker to see what they've got looking forward to. Kind of reminded me of seeing yes. like a, a venue posting their gigs coming up. Yeah. Well, I think social. Well, for us, social media has been really important, um, and it's just. I think because we launched, uh, uh, so we launched two weeks before the COVID lockdown, oh. uh, which was an interesting time to launch a business. Um, and in a way, what that meant is everyone was at home on social media. And as soon as we launched, a lot of people got behind us, and it became a really important way to to like interact with people. And so since then, yeah, Instagram has been our, I'd say, our number one way of just letting people know what we're up to so we always try and let people know in advance what we're going to be releasing nice yeah but we do I mean we're doing we do three different beers a week it's really intense <laughs> we do have a core range in we, we've got two beers in our core range we've basically got Dest which is a Czech Pilsner and Parade which is our flagship 6% IPA Citra Mosaic I know 7 um, so we, we do them on repeat, but um, yeah, like most of our output is just completely unique new beers every week. I think it's quite tiring. But. <laughs> tiring, but I think it's certainly, it pays off. I think um, a lot of people, they always want the new thing, don't they? Yeah. So if you've yeah. got that nice, yeah, yeah, if you've got that nice rotating, it uh, certainly works in your favour. Yeah. And also like as brewers, it like allows us to learn new skills and processes and techniques so you know our, I think the quality of our IPAs has really come a long way in the last three years and I think a lot of that is down to just creating new beers all the time because we it just gives us the opportunity to like learn new ways of doing things well you, you posted um, a really nice um, 
like bit about your like learning and constant progression with how you're hopping your beers and everything and it, it was really nice and honest because uh, obviously you get a lot of breweries that try to be kind of clandestine about it like oh we'll never tell but it's it's lovely yeah. to see that kind of transparency yeah like i don't know it's nice to be able to share and also from our perspective it's good to be able to communicate how much effort goes into these beers um, you know like anyone can throw a lot of protein in a grist like at a beer and a lot of hops but that's not it might look the part in the glass but it's not going to taste right unless you're paying attention to all of the details you know whether it's like the, the water treatment or like reverse osmosis the ph at every stage all of these little things incremental changes make a really big difference at the end and you know like the quality of ipas in the uk now is is at the point where it is all about these little changes like how are you going to take things to the next next level Oh, definitely. I mean, I think sadly we still have the the breweries out there that think you just chuck lots of oats in and that's your New England IPA. Um, but it's certainly something that does kind of come through a lot more uh, with like the common drink. Like I'm in Manchester the other weekend, we got a lot of people just actually talking about uh, yeasts and. Uh, breweries yeah. making advancements with their yeast profile. It's just like this is great to hear from like not just industry people, but from people enthusiasts. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know I was in the US pretty recently, and the quality of their IPAs is obviously really good. Um, but you know I do think the UK is getting there, if not already on par with the stuff you can get from the US, which is really exciting to see, um, yeah. Oh, definitely. Now, like, that's it, like, with Beak, once you got your brewery, you became very much at the forefront of being the purveyors of hops. Um, now, a bit of a strange question. Obviously, you guys are very friendly with Verdant and Dea. Did that friendship simply come about through hops, or was there any other kind of links that kind of led to that? Um, well, the, actually, like, uh, I always say to the team, because I was running the, it as a nomadic project for so many years, like, I would go to beer festivals and just hide in the corner because I was too nervous to speak to people. and didn't feel like I could just walk up and introduce myself. And it's taken, you know, the best part of seven years to get to the stage where we are lucky enough to be able to work with some of my favorite breweries in the industry. And I always just say to everyone who works at Beak, like, don't ever take that for granted. It's like a huge privilege to be able to work with those people. Um, and so the first person to get behind us was actually, it was probably, we'd been going about six months in Lewis and Paul Jones from Cloudwater, he did a post on Twitter of Lolo, which is a 3.5% table beer we do. He posted a photo just really praising this beer. And for me, that was a really big step because after that, we started getting a lot more interest. He invited us onto his podcast and we ended up doing this like two hour recording during lockdown. And, um, it just really helped with exposure um, and then after that, we, I think it was just through social media, we just struck up conversations with the guys at Verdon and Dea. Um, uh, and yeah, they just, I, 
um, I don't know. I think I might have met them at festivals and things like that. But yeah, like you say, we made the same kind of beers. Um, and for whatever reason, we, we clicked. Um, and, it, yeah. It's yeah, it's nice to hear that it's a it's more of an organic relationship than just the whole kind of birds of a feather flock together kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and it is amazing. Like I still have to pinch myself when I'm I'm like just a beer fanboy. So <laughs> you know when people you know like Mark Tranter from Burning Sky. Yeah, so, you know, he, he's a friend now, like just around the corner. But like I I'm just in awe you know, like good good brewers at the end of the day. And I think once you lose that, then if you become jaded with that, I think that's quite sad. It's like game over at that point. If you're not if you're not like fanboying out over breweries, then you probably shouldn't be working in the craft beer industry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's true. Like I think unfortunately not just in beer but in life I think we can all kind of go through that cycle of being really hyped on something. But it, it's it's very easy to fall into that jaded category as well. Uh, but you're very right. It, to kind of progress and better yourself, you need to stay enthusiastic and enjoying what you're doing. Yeah, and there are so many great people in the industry. Like we've got uh, Stefan from Track over at the moment, and you know, like the co like the, the beer itself is obviously important. But when we collab with people don't just like dig out mash tons and stuff like weirds. We spend a day with that person and like learn about them as a person. Like, you know, yesterday we went on a hike on the downs with, with dog. And it's like to me that's what craft beer is all about. It's it is about people at the end of the day and yes, the beer is important, but the beer is only like a backdrop to everything else. It's like beer would be nothing without like social occasions and uh, human interactions. That so, sounds lovely. Yeah, so for me, it's like I'm much more excited about the idea of going on a walk. (laughs) Not even talking about beer necessarily, but just like their ideas about making beer or running a business or reading books or music. Like that to me is important. And then at the end of that is when you have a nice beer. Yeah. Maybe talk about, then you can talk about pH and stuff like that. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I agree. Like it's something I always enjoy uh, in the past when I've gone to do collabs at places. Just get the train into the center and then walk to wherever I need to be, just to kind of take in the surroundings and that. Yeah. But uh, with that, it kind of brings us nicely into the idea of these hills, because obviously being a craft beer fanboy, still you've been able to then set up a beer festival and kind of curate it to what you want, which again opportunity that doesn't come around all that often no so I, that was the idea behind these hills again because we all just love beer we thought well this is the dream you get to curate your ideal festival and invite all your favorite groups and you know our, the first year we did it which was last year i didn't expect anyone to say yes because <laughs> you know, it was the first year I just thought we're going to have to spend years doing this before anyone and you know amazingly you know we got like all of our favourite favourite people there in one space and you know we had breweries flying out from Australia and the US um, you know like range and it was just yeah to see those people at our tiny little brewery on an industrial estate in Lewis was just amazing and I'm still buzzing from it so um <laughs> 
Well, that's yeah, it. We, we're, sorry. Uh, no, no, I was going to say, that's it. Like you mentioned, because uh, obviously you had your pre-party and everyone there on the estate, at the industrial estate, which is wonderful. But instead of kind of like, I mean, you're very fortunate you happen to be on possibly the most idyllic industrial estate I've seen under those white cliffs. Yeah. Uh, but instead of just holding the festival at, on site, you kind of went off piste and like had a, a scout around for a decent location nearby instead. Yeah, so there's obviously there's quite a lot of brewery, uh, brewery festivals in the UK, but there aren't that many that are held in rural locations. And because so Lewis is in the heart of South Downs National Park, so it's surrounded by really nice rolling hills very bucolic and we just thought it'd be such a shame to invite all these people and then expect them to spend the weekend on the industrial estate um so yeah i mean it brings its own set of problems like no power etc etc so it costs a lot of money to put the festival on and we just about break even but it's you know it definitely isn't a money-making exercise it's it is a passion project it is a way of like meeting all of our favorite brewers and it's got kind of like a village fate vibe to it it doesn't feel like some beer festivals you go to and they, they are really pro-y and very intense and noisy yeah. like that's fun like there's a place for that but we wanted to create something that was a bit more welcoming to so you get like families down there and kids and not everyone there is beer nerds, so it's a really good mix no, is like you say, like the actual the setting kind of there's nothing around for a, like a mile or so. It's just greenery, um, and obviously under the, the yeah. kind of nice teepee kind of awning canopies and like not like marquees, but just more open and breezy. It, yeah, it did kind of set up for a, a very. A, a, a very peaceful setting for something that could get quite rambunctious, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no, and it did like like last time on Saturday night. It got really good. We had like, a dance tent, and it just and, and this year we're quite excited. We've got um, we're going to be doing a big folk procession, maypole dancing, and then it's going to culminate in the burning of this effigy. So our team from the brewery we're getting together next week to build this big like straw man effigy um which we're gonna burn uh that sounds and we just sick felt, uh, they just felt right doing it like a bit creepy a bit <laughs> interesting so we'll be doing that are they like uh like i i wholeheartedly encourage more wicker man-esque vibes yeah for sure <laughs> Yeah, we've got so Adam from Vernon, he's going to be DJing as well in the evening under like the Brewing Folk moniker with this really cool collective called Stone Club as well. Um, so, yeah, no, it should be fun. We've got loads of live music, we've got a massive Brazilian like troupe of drummers coming and playing on Saturday. Uh, Friday night, we've got some amazing DJs called Lazy Susan. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. Wow, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot more going on for you guys this year. Like, yeah, <laughs> just uh, piling on uh, the stress. And then, yeah, also in terms of street food, we've got um, Slice Culture, a really good pizza place from Manchester. Uh, our um, good friend Michael Sands. 
Michael Towns, the legend. So he's going to be serving his amazing pizza. And then we've got slow cooked, like, hit barbecue by Field and Flame. Uh, like an Italian New York street food place for Capture and Tails. So the food's going to be really good too. Um, and then obviously quite a lot of beer and yeah. cider. Oh, excellent. No, I'm, well, I'm coming down. I'm bringing the whole family this time. Right. So that's yeah, it is a, it's a family affair for that, sure. That's it. <laughs> like, I always feel well. Always reminds me of, like when my dad tried to take me to like his events and stuff that he'd enjoy, and you, you kind of as a kid like uh, banging your head, just like this is boring. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> my kids aren't going to be thinking the same. Oh, yeah, no, they'll be into it, for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, um, in regards to, like, these hills and everything, do you have any uh, tips for people of what not to do when setting up beer festivals? Is there kind of any pitfalls that you might have uh, narrowly avoided? Uh, I think it's, like, just be aware that you're probably not going to make any money <laughs> doing it. <laughs> Um, it's, it can really quickly spiral out of control, especially at the moment. Yeah. Um, but we, I don't know, like, yeah, we don't see it as, like I say, as a money-making thing. Like, you have to really ask yourself why you're doing it. Yeah. And for us, it's, it, it's about, like, forging new relationships with amazing breweries and but also getting to see, you know, existing friends, have a catch-up, learning from each other, relaxing, um, but also, like I guess, looking after the brewers is important. So, our sponsors, uh, Yakima Chief Ops and Crisp and Bruiser, all get together to sort of help put on a festival that is actually like hopefully a pleasure to serve at. So the brewers tend to stay like clamping on site, and then Yakima do all of the food. So we have like a green room and a nice breakfast in the morning so I think the other thing to remember is yes you obviously want to make it really nice for the customers but the brewers are customers as well at the end of the day so like you have to look after them if it's not going to be pleasurable to serve up people just won't come back yeah it's nice because as we well a lot of people will see uh, a lot of breweries kind of do dip their toes into doing their own festivals um, so it's interesting to hear that it's not as much of a money-making exercise and it is more yes. yeah it is more I suppose kind of an extension of the your, your brand um, yeah and sure. kind of giving people the the more uh, not just drinking beak but living beak I guess yeah I think there is an element of that yeah, it's like having like the responsibility of, pick, of curating festivals really puts you in a good position in terms of how people perceive you as a brewery. And they know that you're not just that you what you do actually love beer, and that like again, it is a passion project putting on a festival. Uh, we could be using the resources for loads more, like. <laughs> Yeah, the amount of effort that goes into this festival is ridiculous when you think about what we actually get out of it on a monetary level. But there's, there's a, you know, you can't really put a price on the kind of joy that you get from putting on these events. Oh yeah, I mean, like I always 
feel terrible. And this is something we've discussed on uh, previous podcasts with people is the hard work that goes into actually running uh, beer festivals, whether you're the organizer or you're a volunteer or what coming from one of the breweries, it's, it's not as easy as people would think. No, it's really hard. But running a brewery is really hard. <laughs> it's, like, it's all really hard, but it's fun. It's good. I was actually talking to Stefan about that earlier. And it's, in my previous job as a journalist, I was like very much always doing one kind of skill like over and over again. And like one of the fun things about running a small growing business is everyone is involved in every aspect of the brewery. So it's, and for me, I find that really like creative, that aspect of the job. It's just really fulfilling having that autonomy and creativity. And just, it's very like nuts and bolts. Like everyone is involved at every level. So it's hard, but it is, it's really rewarding. Oh, for sure. <laughs> cool. So, with Beak, um, now, well, we discussed. You've got your four. You started off four years nomadic. You're now three years in your current facility. Yeah. Uh, what's the next step for Beak? We are. So we've got a really exciting period coming up. Where um, hopefully our next door neighbours are going to be moving out quite soon, and we should be able to. We're hoping to just grow our space. So at the moment, we work for a tiny, tiny industrial unit, two and a half thousand square foot. I think a lot of people think we we're bigger than we are because of Instagram. <laughs> I get that impression that we're a tiny, tiny brewery. Um, but yeah, we're hoping to step up production a little bit. We've we've run out of beer for the last two months, so that's obviously not ideal so yeah increasing production uh, and we're looking at a tap room space as well outside of lewis um i can't give the details right now but it's going to be it's going to be a really exciting project in a really beautiful space uh with some really progressive aspects to it so it won't just be a tap room it'll be a an interesting kitchen, barrel Asian projects, uh, other kinds of food production there as well. So I'll be able to share more details about that soon. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah, and we like, I think the barrel aging like aspect of the business we really want to grow over the years, doing like a lot of style blending and mixed fermentation blending. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds really exciting. Very exciting. Well, I know recently uh, you sold the fooder you had to Balance. Yes, yeah, yeah. We just didn't have the space for it anymore. It's one of those stupid things we bought <laughs> when we were starting out. We were like, let's just get a 5,000 litre fooder and stick it there. Like, it was ridiculous because we're in such a small space. It just, it's just 5,000 litres of beer doing its thing for over a year until it's at any point where we can package it and we just thought this is stupid so we ha we actually what we did is we brewed some saisons into it using that were brewed with uh, grain grown on a farm just outside Lewis um, some like low intervention heritage grain so we got a really nice saison in there and it spent almost a year in the fooder and then before we sold the fooder we, we took everything out and split it between batches of fruit um, and also doing a bit of barrel aging that as well so the, the beer hasn't gone to waste we've taken out the food uh, it's now aging on fruit and the food is in Manchester 
So ah, it's got it's it's found a new home, a good new home. That sounds really exciting. So there's some good releases to look forward to then. Definitely. So that I think they'll be coming out over the next probably two to three months. Oh, Ace, that soon. Yeah, exactly. But that that's kind of an aspect of the business we really want to grow, but we obviously don't want to do much barrel aging in the clean side of the brewery, hence the reason this idea of kind of splitting a tap room off site with a barrel aging project. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. The, the, the idea as well, uh, that food are then going up to Manchester to balance. I, I really like that kind of, right, we're done with it. Uh, you guys yeah, exactly. get some love out of it now. Yeah, definitely. And that came, it was an ex Chianti, um, Chianti food from Italy. So it's it's definitely been on an interesting journey. Yeah, wow. You could write a little <laughs> Uh, hopefully one day uh, maybe Balance will pass it on to someone else and uh, yes. can continue well, maybe journey. we'll buy it back on them when we get out of space yeah that'd be exciting <laughs> ah cool well I think uh, that's kind of coming to the end of our chat now really uh, of what we can uh, well what we can look forward to seeing from Beak in the coming months um, yeah this is I was going to say, is the ticket still available for these hills? So the Saturday daytime session is sold out, but we've got some available uh, for the Friday night and Saturday night too. Excellent. So um, anyone who's listening, uh, who's excited at the sound of this? Yeah, get to beakbrewery.com and then there's a these hills section where you can buy tickets. Um, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an amazing festival. So yeah, don't miss it. Ah, excellent. And by the sounds of it, there's a lot of great beers coming as well. So, uh, What's that? by the sounds of it, a lot of great beers to come as well. Definitely. And some great cider makers as well. <laughs> Am I allowed to mention the cider makers? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I always kind of I try and keep myself back. I don't want to <laughs> shout too loudly. I don't know if, yeah, because I don't know if you want me to, like, mention it or not, but... Go for it. Yeah. So, yeah, alongside the brewers, so the breweries that are coming, we're really excited about. So, KCBC from the US and Finback, uh, Wildflower, which is, yeah, one of my favourite mixed firm producers in the world, coming from Australia, and then all the way through to, you know, Real Ale producers, Harvey's, and then Tilcat, Wildwater, Sure Shot, you know, Pressure Drop, just all of all of you know what I consider to be the best breweries in the UK. Data for the Burning Sky, but then alongside the the breweries, we've also got some yeah yourself, Tom Plan, <laughs> really exciting cider maker, um, and Brewed Meadery as well. Um, which I'm really excited about. And then we've got some good local uh, wine producers as well, like Westwell. Yeah, their um, wines so are really fantastic. Yeah. But really, so it's about much more than just beer. Uh, you know, and I think last year a lot of people, beer drinkers, went off beast to try, you know, wine and cider and, and meat. I think it went down really well. I, I know, well, are you. So I'm getting my words mixed. <laughs> um, I remember like the original Hop City 
like everyone kind of getting burnt out by hop fatigue so having that yeah. option to have different drinks and everything i just think it really helps everyone's palates and uh it's, it's just really lovely to encourage yeah. people to explore more interesting stuff as well definitely and we've got like one of the things we really like at these hills is we have a whole tent dedicated to mix her stuff so like you say it just gives you that that break you know like there are only so many new england ideas you can drink oh yeah and after a while you almost can't taste the hops anymore you could be drinking the hoppiest new england ipa in the world and you're like there are not enough hops in this <laughs> yeah so <laughs> just sometimes you go and cleanse your palate with something really dry and breathy oh yeah which is, it's just lovely to know that you can find that there. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm really excited to, to be back uh, and see familiar faces again. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Definitely. Sat well, this is just me being the kind of weird guy that focuses in on things way too much, but I can't wait to go back to the Brewer's Arms in Lewis. Oh, that's great, yeah. That's my local. Oh, very yeah. lucky. It's great. It's the only pub my dog will go in. My dog's <laughs> scared of everything. Oh, no. And it's this. I'm like, if my dog likes it, I'm going there. <laughs> so that's where we go. <laughs> uh, well, that's it. Seal of approval. <laughs> and he hates everyone and everything, so the fact that he likes that pub is, is a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in that case, like I say, everyone, go get yourself some tickets for these hills uh, next month, uh, the 16th to 17th. Yeah, absolutely. Look at that. Remembering numbers. Good old memory. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then also keep an eye out for any beak beers that you see, because they're guaranteed to be good. Thank you so much. They're no, honestly like, yeah, support and like, coverage like this means the world for a small business like us and yeah just really appreciate the help ah not at all i mean it's something that we're really keen to do like we we just enjoy talking about beer and talking with passionate people um and just highlighting what we think people would enjoy 